Hello everyone and welcome back to the Talking Spirits podcast. Firstly, I want to send out huge thanks to all the nice people that have been listening, supporting and sending beautiful messages my way lately. It feels very good to know that this new project is bringing hope and pleasure to you guys and this is what we will keep up doing in the future as well. Today I'm welcoming a very special guest, the Serbian-Bosnian-French master pianist Bojan Zulfikarpašić, widely known in the Western Hemisphere as Bojan Z. Bojan is definitely one of the most profound innovators of the European jazz scene for the last couple decades, and I'm very happy that he was willing to grace us with his presence for the very in-depth, inspiring and interesting next two hours. We're wishing you a great ride and I will see you again at the end of the episode. Hello, Boyan. Welcome to the Talking Spirits podcast. Hi, Armin. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, likewise. It's a huge pleasure to have you as a guest and thank you for taking the time to be with me today. Amazing. Yep. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Last year, 2020, was a very unusual year. And uh, actually for everyone, but especially so far as musicians, since the way we were used to work has changed significantly and unexpectedly. And the very important social element of traveling, playing shows, coming together with other people to work on project basically vanished within a very short time. So how did all of this affect you? And how are you right now in January of 21, after we have been in this for almost a full year? Well, you know, there, there were things I could have imagined. I, I have a quite vivid uh, imagination. But truly, this one slipped my my radar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was kind of like, uh-huh. uh, you mean uh, no traveling? Uh, you mean no, no, no gathering in the big halls? I mean no working? So, yeah, the thing is, like, uh, the first information I had was that it will be for three weeks. Yeah. And I do remember that, uh, you know, at the beginning we were, all of us, uh, well, at least me, I, I, I came here. I was in Belgrade, you know, with my with my mother. And I, my plane back was on the Monday of 16th of uh, March, which means that I... I was in Belgrade when they announced the the cur curfew. Actually, like a, a, how do you call it? Like a, a extraordinary, yeah, extraordinary lockdown situation where they were, you know, closing the frontiers and everything. But I, I was, you know, I kind of got afraid that I would stay there, which definitely I would not have liked uh, because I mean, I, my life uh, in my house is is here in France. So uh, basically, I managed to to run out of, of Belgrade and come here with a really like a, a last plane or a regular plane that was flying from from Belgrade to Paris. And I was so happy that you know I started to like, okay, I'm home, I'm home. Let's uh, open the bottles, and the home was filled up with the food and nice drinks and everything. So I was kind of uh, doing a fiesta with my own self uh, the first evening. Second evening, I started the same, you know, and then I really had like this uh, wind from cosmos that passed in front of my ears and told me, do you really think it's going to last only three weeks? And I remember like I stopping with a piece of cheese <laughs> from my mouth and a glass of wine and thinking like, and then the second thought that came straight out of cosmos was, 
Don't you remember that once already the life is, as you as you know it, changed completely in three months? That was, of course, the beginning of war in what was Yugoslavia. And then definitely I remember I took the bottle and look, like put back the the the, the capsule and uh, closed it, and I started actually being much more economic than I was. And here we are, almost one year after with uh, all these activities cancelled and sitting at home and trying to tell ourselves, yes, we are still creative. It's going to be better and all these things. But this is actually, it's pretty horrible. When you find yourself uh, not being able to work, you know, like you're in uh, full health. Uh, and uh, mostly my, my opinion is that, you know, uh, what I hate the most is depending on idiots called politicians. This is the worst, the worst thing for me. Because these people, at least uh, I can tell you about France, but I see that it's the case all over the uh, all over the place. I mean, they have simply this entire world of politics became uh, deprived of humanity and uh, empathy. So the only thing that they that makes them make the rules for us is uh, insurances there where they will not have to pay money or we will not be able to sue them for whatever the reason is. So that's why there is no logic in their movements. That's why they keep the concert halls closed for three months already here since, you know, the last lockdown. And they open, they, they keep open the public transport, the offices and the schools. So after three months, well, the pandemic is continuing. And the logic is, we then it means that what was closed will stay closed and what was open will stay open. That's how you stop the thing that is continuing. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm actually very easily, I have to say it, you know, getting angry because this is a, I mean, it's it's a it's a direct attack on our survival and the survival of the uh, ministry of uh, profounding of you know spirit, spiritual. That's what the art is for, you know. It make, makes people feel better and, and become better, which is all the contrary of what watching the TV and, and other media does to you. So yeah, they 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 decided to stop us for the sake of uh, you know and then so yeah don't look for the the, the logic the logic is it's not uh, there <laughs> it's not there yeah no, it's definitely absent from the from this uh, moment so yeah i'm i'm not I'm, I'm not very you know fond of this moment and i'm not fond of uh, this entire situation yeah you know. yeah and especially i think you know like uh, the long-term effects of all of it in for the music business and for musicians and artists It's like, uh, you know, it's, it's quite logical that I think that going out of this situation, there will be a lot of creativity because we're all locked, but we have we have time and we're all home. So, you know, automatically people are uh, preparing new projects and being inspired and everything. But the problem is like, like uh, once we will kind of uh, reopen the, 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 the concert halls, I think there will be like uh, half of them missing. Yeah, who's going to be there still? Yeah, and uh, it's it's a it's a, a how can I call it? It's artisan, you know. It's a, it's a artistic ecosystem, and the the way that uh, 
our dear deciders, which means this political world, feels uh, in, entitled to, you know, they don't, they don't feel much concern. And I think even, well, this, this may not, not sound modest, but I don't care about this, you know, but I think that they, they don't like actually the, the world of art because it's filled up with people who have their opinion and uh, who open their mouth and they touch other people. Uh, uh, they Maybe they, they, they don't really like this thing. I mean, it's stupid what I'm saying, but uh, I, I, elsewhere they would really act, react differently than than like this. Like you know, there is not a mentioning of artistic world in any of the speech of uh, of uh, local politicians. An actual minister of the culture in France is just a joke, total joke. And you you know you don't have to be very clever to see that it's been used to wipe us out. Yeah, I mean, yes, but, but what you just said, you know, they, they maybe they don't like. Yeah, and of course, it makes sense because every kind of arts and music, it it makes people creative and also lets them ask, uh, brings them to asking questions. If you if you know a little bit a little bit about you know mechanisms in this world and how they they've been used, uh, you know, you, you know, without entering the zone uh, of uh, how do you call this uh, com complot th theory you know mm. uh, any kind of a shock was used very often by the the people in power or those who are close to power to install the things that normally would take a lot of time yeah so you know that's exactly what's happening now you know they're I don't know if they're preparing some kind of a world 3.0 Uh, or whatever, where the people will work from home, which is not that bad, you know, if it's going to pollute less, this one is not something that, that, that I would be against. But globally, you know, I don't know. If you, if you look just who gets better and richer in this situation, well, none of them are my favorites and my friends. So. Yeah, and it's definitely not the little men. And and little artisanat, you know, the word in French, which means the little industry, the, so the people who are creative and who create the thing. Uh, artistry, you know, it's, it's, it's simple as this. Those who do the things out of passion, you know, they closed all the libraries, but they opened the library departments in, in mega stores. Yeah. You know. So... Uh, They closed the 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 CD the CD departments. I mean, if, if there was if there was any CD and music support uh, shops left, they got all closed. But they opened the the big uh, the big ones. You know, who already are selling everything from the bike till the tampons for the menstruation. It's, uh, it's crazy. It's really like um, like Amazon or Fnac here in France and Boulanger. So those who are close to governments, well, they have the you know. Their friends, and the, the big uh, industry, and it's not my cup of tea. You know, already for 20 years, I'm, I'm completely out of this. I don't buy my food in these stores. I don't you know, listen to the TV. I don't consume this thing, and I'm out of it. You know, and apparently that's uh, something that uh, that's why I do feel really openly attacked by the decisions that that are made to stop the pandemics. You know. Because man, stopping the pandemics uh, by closing, by getting people suicide themselves. Well, mm. Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, I can relate very much to what you're saying. But so maybe 
you know, we can go on to a little bit more pleasant topics. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, please, please do, because here I, I really have a hard time finding any kind of inspiration, in spite of the fact that, you know, I'm using this time to to get to do the things that I could not do for 30 some years that I was uh, running back and forth, you know, traveling for the concerts and everything. So yeah, I'm, I'm using this to, to get my health back and uh, yeah. get better. Yeah. Yeah. So if we go back in time a little bit, how did music, if you try to remember like to your childhood, uh, how did music come into your life and what was it that attracted you to music and the piano in particular? Well, the music, I, I think I was lucky enough to to be <laughs> at the right uh, right place at the right moment. So right place was, well, being born in Belgrade. And the right time was, uh, yeah, end of the 60s. I was born in 78 in Belgrade. Why was it a good time uh, compared to what I know now? Is Because, you know, the, the Tito's uh, authoritarian regime, Actually, he, he got senile at the end of the 60s, the first signs of senility. And uh, and he or during the 60s, he understood that the best thing he could do for the, the country called Yugoslavia was to do the PR, public relations, you know, in, in front of the rest of the world. That's when he started bringing in the actors, you know, uh, helping, You know, as he was quite known and accepted as an important politician, important for political figure in the world, he used his uh, position to, you know, uh, work on the things. And then, like, I guess, like it was the period right after these uh, uh, tensions that were happening in all over Europe in '68. You know, with the and there they were tensions between students and police as well in Belgrade in '68. And coming out of this, he said, "Oh, let let the youngs do what they want. We it, it will. It's not a danger for uh, our uh, socialist regime and whatever." So basically, 70s in Yugoslavia until he died in '81. It was really like uh, you know, very much inspired uh, by by British scene of these years uh, concerning music and arts and uh, design and uh, whatever you know, all these things that. Uh, I was uh, pretty quickly uh, attracted to. So uh, it was a big pleasure living in uh, what was Yugoslavia and uh, Belgrade especially because of the fact that music scene was uh, super creative. So many things were happening and uh, stuff like this, which definitely you know, made me feel good uh, there where I was. Now, there was an upright piano at my home which uh, I remember I was attracted to it by the uh, a trick that my father was pulling on me. What he did basically is uh, he would play, you know, I was under the keyboard of the, of the upright piano, as, you know, being three, four years old. So he would tell me like, hey, this note here, and then I would, you know, grab one note and play one note, like ding, ding, ding. Then over this note, he would play, you know, melodies with chords, And I was—I didn't see his his fingers, and I was hearing this sound because I was like right in front of the strings, and this sensation was so strong, and I was sure that I'm the one who produces all this music, you know, just by pressing one note. And <laughs> it's a trick because you know, then when I would see the piano, and there were a lot of pianos in my friends' houses back then, because music was definitely uh, arts were 
a program of uh, in Tito's Yugoslavia. Uh, it was uh, an idea that music and arts should be the part of the general education of uh, uh, kids and uh, and people, and it was the case. So there was there were pianos at people's places, very normal thing. So I would see a piano, and boom, I would run to the piano and look for this magic note. You know. So automatically, my interest for this uh, thing was uh, woken up. And that, then what happened is that, that I went to the school with my mother, my older brother. He was already like, two, he was almost two years older and he was playing cello. And I would go with my mother to music school and I would see the piano in the, in the, in the room, the music school, and run, run to the piano and started doing bang, bang, bang. And then they say, oh, he looks interested in, in this. Why, why wouldn't you inscribe him in music school? And that's how it all started. And here we are, <laughs> almost 50 years after, and I'm still looking for the magical note. Yeah, I mean, from what you what you said about uh, Yugoslavia before the war, I mean, I, I was born in 1980, and I lived in Sarajevo until uh, 92. So I have very similar memories, you know, in terms of value of culture and, and music and art. No. If you speak about a, 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 a scene in a certain period, in a certain place, that's when you see how important it is to have the witnesses. And the witness in music is what? It's recordings. So basically, uh, it is more than important to see how much the music that was produced in the 80s and the 90s and 70s uh, in uh, what, what was uh, Yugoslavia, it was so uh, creative and so important that actually this is the music that they still listen to on most of the radios when you go there, even though we're in 2020, which means like the time has stopped. Now, it, it is, is it because of the fact that the people are not as creative as they used to be? Yes. If you ask me, yes. And one of the reasons why they're not creative as much as this is because of the fact that there is no uh, industry in the positive way of, of, uh, of the thing, which means labels, people interested, uh, people who are speaking about music. Music kind of was like put in the line of, uh, I mean, any kind of other past, you know, how to pass your time. Uh, uh, how do you call this? Uh, um, uh, spare time activities like yeah spare time activities uh, uh, whatever I know that there's uh, uh, it's not advertisement it's like uh, entertainment you know but entertainment put on the same line as you know video games and stuff like this like oh I'm going to listen to some music and then well then I'm actually actually I will play the, the, the video game because there is music in the video games as well so yeah whatever and uh That's why the people they don't you know they're not drawn to to the fact to eventually you know make some uh, thing that will touch people's souls because they will have the only way for them to get their uh, how can I say efforts paid back if the people really did what they did because nobody's buying uh, sound supports any, anymore. So they have to get close to Coca-Cola or I don't know, whichever brand will use their music and eventually give them some money for this. So that's 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 the shitty thing. And that's, I think, one of the things that explains that there is a lot of music, but, you know, it's like on 
well, people just couldn't care less because the the offer is too big, which m- makes me think that actually there is no big uh, real quality of it. Yeah, yeah. Sorry for saying, but that's my no, opinion. but it's it's the truth actually. Yeah, and the, but but did you did you already know? Like early in your life, that music would be the defining factor of your life path. At this age, I can already tell you that music, music as, a, as activity and music as a soul food, has uh, saved my life so often and pulled me out of a ditch and pulled me out of a difficult situations. You know, in private life and in a spiritual life, in whatever you can you can call in mistakes that I've made about the choices and whatever. And, Music definitely was there just to, you know, when I say pull me out, is to fill me up uh, with the hope and positive energy and, uh, yeah, pull me out of a ditch instead of going into the dark thoughts and everything. It made me uh, feel like there is a, a reason to continue doing nice things on this planet. Not just music, but through music, I mean, this is like the one that I feel the closest too as a, a creator but of course i'm touched by so many other art forms uh, poetry uh, movies photography uh, literature you name it food <laughs> wine drinks i mean uh, any kind of activity human activity that that can be can be uh, done in artistic zone you know where it's really like uh, a lot of uh, creativity and imagination and invention. So that's where I like to operate in whatever the activity is. Over the years of being a musician and being a pianist, you have developed a very unique style of writing music. And jazz obviously plays a role in terms of, let's say, conception, expression and instrumentation. But uh, your approach is quite different from you know, from a straight-ahead jazz approach, because you, you combine many different musical styles, like sounds, instrumentations, and uh, one very characteristic element is that you are also incorporating influences of the traditional music of the Balkans, but in a very own and original way. So when I think back of myself, as when I was a kid or like a teenager, I really didn't, you know, I was into rock music and, and metal. And for me, it was like really much later that, that I came to start discovering how, how rich and, and how diverse and how beautiful also the traditional music of the Balkans is. So my question would be, how, how did this all happen for you? Like, you know, how, how did you come to, 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 to create such a unique style of music in, in writing. Thanks for this question because it's uh, it's uh, well it underlines the fact that eventually one can recognize me just by listening to the music in which I'm present, I mean, uh, which is a big uh, big thing for me. Uh, I think there there are two 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 reasons. First, I started by listening to music that was surrounding me, you know, and it was mostly songs, uh, you know, folk songs or what they call Starogradsky Pesmi, it's like the old songs from Belgrade as a city that was sung in the bars and restaurants in, throughout the 19th century and the beginning of 20th century. And, you know, the music that, that, that stayed in the 
in people's heads like uh, the repertoire that everybody knows knows the lyrics and the songs and you know this kind of a that goes on the what I mentioned being born in Belgrade where music was very present as a social activity it was not like here in France automatically closed for, for those who are chosen which means you are talented well you're going to go to the school and then conservatory and it will be your activity and it's closed from the rest of the world because around you nobody's interested actually in music and nobody's really playing music as a in any moment given moment of the day to accompany the the beauty of the life you know while in my house uh, you know with my parents almost every evening there was somebody passing for dinner or for food or you know just together and my family and friends of my parents were, would, would get would gather in the kitchen of a 65 square meters flat, in, which was where we lived. So, yeah, I was going, I was falling asleep every evening by listening to them because, you know, it would be like food. And like after the food was done, first thing that would happen, like pull out the guitars and open new bottles of wine, whatever. And, and then they would sing for two, three hours and uh, just be together. And that was the activity. Like you sit together and you sing. I have the same memory, but my, my parents, they were not musicians, but my father, he had a huge uh, record collection. So my, my earliest childhood memories is lying under the table when they were with their friends listening to records, listening to albums yeah. and talking and having food, like you yeah, described. Just, that, that's exactly what I'm saying. It was like a soul food, uh, you know, that, that, that people needed uh, almost every day. And it was not presented as one of the artistic activities. Like <laughs> I said, you know, it was really put in the program. When I look at my, my primary school, where I went since I was uh, six, seven years old, I mean, they were like uh, in Zemun, in this part of Belgrade. There were like uh, four pianos in, in different classrooms. It was not a music school. It was like a normal school. We had two music teachers. Our painting, you know, painting teacher was a professional painter who was doing his expositions, you know. I mean, what can I tell you else? Then, yeah, we were. So that's about this moment called the, the, the epoch in which I uh, started uh, being interested in music. And second thing is like uh, I started my own uh, uh, musical taste Uh, I, I received, when I was six years old, I received for my birthday uh, a revolver of the Beatles. And that was the second second shock, you know, after all the music, it was like, what the hell is this? And of course, there were no ways of getting the, the sheet music for this music. So, well, you know, you don't wait longer than this because I had an example from all these people coming to my parents' place, that a song is something, you know, you find the chords and then go, oh, that's the E, E, D, okay, E major seven. So, you know, like finding things by ear was most normal thing in the world. So I started doing the same. I listened to the album, then I would take the guitar and like, love, love me do, you know, and you just find the things by, by ear. So it was turning completely this classical approach in which I was as well. Uh, on my piano lessons, it was like, respect everything that is written on the paper and don't add anything. So basically, that explains this uh, double start in music, explains my eclectical taste for everything that happened afterwards. Some people, when they find themselves in jazz, they renounce on everything that they were, they've been listening before. Some of the people, they start by jazz, 
And for me, uh, coming into jazz was after, when did it happen? It was like I was 14. I mean, I was not a big big fan of uh, the aesthetics going around it because it was not the music that was happening, uh, uh, you know, especially the jazz from 60s and 50s. It was not the music that was my contemporary, you know, the soundtrack of, of the period in which I was growing. But I did manage through the Beatles and the Simpho Rock and all these bands. I mean, I did manage to listen to uh, very early to Keith Jarrett, Chick Corea, Herbie Hancock, because it was, you know, jazz rock. And that was definitely one of the sounds in which I, I found myself uh, uh, being amazed by, by, by these sounds, you know, picking the, the tunes. But then somewhere when I was 14, 15 years, I went to Groznyan, which is this uh, beautiful place in... Uh, Istria in Croatia, there was a jazz course. And that's where I discovered that the drummers can read music too. You know? ah, <laughs> so this is, is that what you call jazz? Well, it's practical. I like jazz because before that, I already had bands where I was composing music with my brother and we always had some drummers that would uh, learn things by heart and uh, then they would forget it like right after the, the rehearsal. So we always had to start all over again. Yeah. Then I saw the guys reading she, you know, reading music and guitar players and piano. Okay, so it's possible to play this music just with a little information on the paper, but that little information helps you get close to the very quickly to the having the the elements of the the tune. Yeah, and then improvised you. So yeah, that's definitely what what gathered me in this world. Yeah, but I never renounced. I never dismissed the things that I was listening until that moment. I did put them on standby because I realized that I have a lot of things to learn. Then I started really listening to jazz history and uh, everything that happened before. And that made sense because, but it just reinforced my uh, uh, conviction that everything I listened that touched me before, well, since I was five until the age of 14, 15, well, there was a great music too. Not all of it. But I still, so my taste was always, you know, eclectic. Then another detail. I grew up in the uh, moment and in the jazz uh, uh, surrounding where imitating the others was, of course, something that was good for apprenticeship. But going on stage and playing the phrases of uh, Herbie Hancock, Winton Kelly, Keith Jarrett, or something, it was like, okay, you know, they would, like everybody would turn to me and go like, okay, but play your own shit. So, and one of the reasons for this is that the schools, there were no schools for this. So it was all taught by personalities that themselves received the, the you know, it was like this African master and the, and the kid relation and this actually I really think that it was the, the, the best thing that was kept in jazz education for quite long this thing of master and eleve the, the, the pupil you know so it's almost like one on one old school way so you're learning about life not only just about music but you're learning you know about the purpose and why's not what but why and uh, this is one of the reasons why I think that for me, I always grew up in this music. And one of the main reasons why I wanted to play it is that there was a possibility that I will eventually put my own little brick in this wall with my own vision and my own sound. And that's uh, exactly what pulled me out of play of the idea of playing pop music or classical music, because the 
there what it was awaited from you mostly to repeat the thing that you have recorded or repeat the thing that was written on the on the paper yeah so there was no freedom uh, the freedom uh, moment was much much less than uh, what i could find in jazz and you know this adventure of uh, jumping in the empty space that basically is, exists mostly in the jazz world it, that that was the most exciting thing uh, ever you know being able and then i realized that, that that you know most of the albums of i don't know somebody like Keith Jarrett that he would you know that was his uh, trade mar trade you know that that he would really start the concert from the scratch with trying to have a total blank in his head and just improvise for an hour and something and make beautiful music out of nothing so yeah that's why i still find and recognize myself in jazz world but as a uh, as a musician or a pianist or a arranger or producer, I have no problem working in uh, different fields of, of music, you know, and that's what you can still see in my, my opus. Yeah. And, uh, but, but how, how did the, you know, the traditional music get connected to? Oh yeah. That's uh, well, you know, uh, uh, first I, I was inspired even while I was, you know, growing up in, in, in Serbia, in Belgrade, in Yugoslavia. Uh, I mean, this music was like omnipresent, but mostly in the bars, kafanas, you know, and in these places, restaurants. And uh, it was presented as a music that was, you know, popular, but musicians who were not into this, they had to do it because that's where they could earn some money. So basically it was always a compromise that you would play shitty music. Folk music was always designed as shitty music. Uh, but you will, uh, that, that's the only thing that, that, that you could do if you wanted to make some money. If you didn't have enough power to pursue your, your own dreams, well, then you had to find yourself playing uh, uh, folk music in spite of the fact that you didn't like it. So, but there were examples of, uh, you know, Levi Sol, you know, the, the Vladko Stefanovsky and his band and Smack and the rock bands that I was listening to. And they were quite clearly inspired by folk music of course Bielo Dugbe but that was already for me yes it was uh, exaggerated it was like too close to kitsch yeah. that I would uh, really go for this it was not my, my favorite band since, I agree uh, when I, was, I agree with when the, I was a kid as well yeah same and nowadays I even think that it was a, 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 a clear opening for what happened nowadays with the uh, Uh, with turbo, turbo, folk. turbo everything everything is turbo you know and every, every, everything has to have folk and we are actually quite far from the reason why folk music existed now it's just a kind of a label that you put there and people recognize something and they think okay this is ours so yeah you know for me it was uh, and i was inspired by by the guys who were doing it really by as as uh, you know the the part of their Identity, the music of Lebisor, Smack, or let's go further, Lala Kovacha with his Balkan Impression band, and you know, which was already one of the clear uh, fusions between jazz idiom and folk music. Well, it's as simple as this. I was lucky to work with Voin Drashkotsi, he was the, the bass player in this project of Lala Kovacha, and he had a vision of uh, 
mixing punk uh, attitude with the uh, jazz and Charles Mingus. Anyhow, what was Charles Mingus? It was a folk music mixed by jazz idiom, jazz approach. And that's how he was approaching this thing. He would take just folk music from where, where he was coming from. And we were lucky, very, very lucky to come from the part of the Europe of the world where folk music is really super present and where people really have, uh, even nowadays, we have uh, such a huge repertoire of the songs to sing when you get into Sevdak and you drink with friends and we start singing and there's a band coming and playing on your ears and everything, you know, things that happen when I almost every, every evening when I go to Belgrade, I end up in some restaurant with music around and people singing. And when I think most of my French acquaintances and friends here that never in their life did they imagine that they will sit in the restaurant and have a band coming and ordering the song that you will have to pay. I mean, they, if it happens to them, they're amazed every time they, they, they find themselves in this kind of a situation. So that's something that really is uh, very specific and I, I love it. Yeah. I really love this aspect of, of uh, music being the part of uh, accompanying the the daily moments of uh, of the life of the uh, uh, average uh, uh, guy and girl in Alpens. In 1988, you decided to relocate from Belgrade to Paris, France. And uh, what made you take that decision to leave Yugoslavia? And especially, why did you choose France as opposed to, let's say, the USA and New York City, for instance, which could have been a destination for someone like you. But, uh, you know. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a good question. I'll just make a connection with something that I already said before. So I, I mentioned that 70s and 80s were years where I was so happy to live there and I had no reason to move any other place because the, the scene was super creative and, you know, you could meet great guys you could go and listen to the local bands you know the actual bands of that moment i mean i'm, I'm talking about charlotte robata uh, uh, you name it you know you know the bands that that existed back then and, and sorry but that's the best thing that happened that has happened on the rock scene uh almost uh, you know in 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 all the all these years that passed since you know so uh But then when I entered the jazz world, I did, you know, understand that there was like, a, on one hand, it was presented as an elite, uh, happy few with the smaller clubs. And, you know, this music was played in the, for those who are les connaisseurs, I mean, as they say, you know, those who know something about it. And, uh, well, I did like the, this idea too, you know, that, well, if there was something For happy few, I mean, yeah, why not? It was not a problem for me because I was touched by this music and I was touched by the the elegance and the idea of what the swing was. And you know, the, 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 I like hard things in life, not easy ones. So being the part of jazz, it seemed like, you know, you have a lot of things still to learn and you are like dismissed by the guys that are older, like looked uh, like a piece of shit, you know, by, by them because you haven't paid your dues, you know. Well, I I recognize myself as a, a young guy that has things to learn. Okay. But then I found myself in a very small world. And it was like when I started being interested for jazz, I renounced on all the girls of my age. 
because I was like, what is he listening to? What is this shitty music that he's listening to now? So nobody was really following me in that, that direction, nor my friends that I had until then. But hey, that was the price to pay. So I was, uh, on the other hand, I did uh, start hanging out with older guys and uh, and even meeting older girls. And as they say in uh, Holland, you learn on the old bikes <laughs> to drive. <laughs> so yeah, so it was a, it was a, it was a good, good experience, you know, overall. And I found myself, you know, discovering uh, where those who were already my idols in jazz rock, like Herbie and uh, Chick Corea, Keith Jarrett and Egberto Gismonti, Ralph Downer, Richie Byrack and all these guys. Well, I discovered that they were, you know, uh, they had uh, things that they came from. So all these acoustic music from 50s and 60s and everything. But I didn't like the fact that it was uh, so closed, a little, you know, thing. And somehow, but, but I did, bite this thing with all my interest and passion. Then I had this scholarship when I was uh, 18 to, to go to uh, America. And I was, you know, really realizing the, the dream of a young jazz musician, because of course, for me, it was the music, uh, it was the place where this music was born and where all these uh, musicians that I've been listening to, they all lived there in America. And there you started with Claire Fisher, right? That's right. I found myself in a, it was called Blue Lake Fine Arts Camp. And I I got actually, the, the, there was one scholarship offered for a guy from Yugoslavia, but there were like two conditions that he should already play jazz and he should be not older than 18. There were not many guys corresponding to these two things in Yugoslavia, but I was, I was one of them. So basically that's, that's how I got the thing. And I went there uh, and it was, you know, it was, uh, it was a great thing. First of all, I replaced my American dream in which we're, we were all bathing because of the, you know, that's how the America makes publicity out of it through. It got this liberty, the land of possibilities message, mostly on the art communication, you know, music, mostly music. And uh, whatever possibilities of uh, instruments and those who were creating and, you know, one idea. And you can really re realize this only in America, you know, this kind of American dream. But then when I w went there, I actually replaced it with American reality, which was uh, completely different. You know, all these aspects that you do not see in, in American movies, but you see there like racial segregation. That was like first time in my life that I realized that I cannot go out of the car the guy told me, like, where, 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 are you crazy? Why are you opening the door? Well, I just want to go to see the, the, this music shop. No, no, no. Do, don't you see where we are? And I said, no, where are we? Well, you don't see it's like a black quarter of Detroit. Like, ah! Is it? So in 86, which was the year I was there, you are not supposed to go out because it's dangerous in the middle of the day for me as a white guy. And he was like, of course. You know, that's one of the discoveries that I made there. And as you can see here, we are in 2021, and, and it, it has not changed better yeah. one damn bit. Yeah, you know. So this was one of the things that really put me on on a big cold shower concerning the idea of living there, uh, studying. Yeah, I mean, of course, it, I, I learned so much in these three months that I was there in '86, but I didn't feel like staying there. Yeah. And basically, I still had one year to, to end up my music school in Belgrade. And uh, 
then I came back and I finished this year. And then what happened is like I already became a, quite a, recognized as a, a jazz pianist. Not that much because I was so good, but mostly because there were not a lot of them. So I was just, you know, it was practical to have a young guy who was uh, capable of playing okay. But what happened then is that, that very quickly I found myself, you know, especially when I came back from America because it was like the game with the wings. Because I played, I learned so much and I saw that this music can touch the, the soul of the public of 3,000, not only 300 during the festival and 30 during the clubs, you know. So that kind of idea... Uh, gave me the wish to, you know, try to operate in and play this music while having the idea that it's quality music. So it should be touching the, the, the many people, not just, you know, happy few in the small clubs. And then what happened is that I became uh, 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 official piano player of big, big band radio television Belgrade, which, my friend, is like the maximum of your career. <laughs> official career that you can make in what was back then in, in, in Belgrade, which was the capital of Yugoslavia. You know? So it was like I was 18 and I already should have told myself, well, that's it. You've made it. <laughs> You've made it to the top. What are you going to do the next ah, 60 years? <laughs> no, don't tell me this. Yeah. yeah, it's just you're just going down from the age of 18. I don't know who, who said it was something. I think it's Joe Zavinal when they made him listen to Chick Corea's first album. Uh, and it was like a blindfold test. And he recognized there was Chick. Chick's, yeah, I like it. It's a, it's a nice album. I hope it will not be his best. The, his peak. Yeah. Because then the rest of his life he will just go go down, you know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, I really thought like uh, it's not possible that this is it, you know. Uh, and I was right. <laughs> But for this, I really needed to, to to change the environment and find myself surrounded by the guys of same age and who were going for this with the same passion as I was going. And I was not wrong because when I came to France, well, that's exactly what I found found guys of my age and uh, who already knew as much as I did about jazz, about uh, rock and, you know, the music the, that, that, that touched our generation. And I always had this idea that if you gather with the guys of, you know, this generation power, that it can, it makes sense. And I was lucky enough to, to, to find myself, you know, with the guys of the same age. And I still played with some of them. And we really definitely recognized the, The, the generation force that was, uh, you know, and what we were listening to at the end of the 80s and throughout the 19s and everything. Just, you know, discovering all these things together and analyzing and passing time together was uh, the best way to uh, get close and uh, a profound, make this a music uh, collaboration even more profound. Yeah, I mean, yes, the generation thing makes sense, of course, because... You know, you, you grow up at the same time, so you, you experience similar things, you know, and, and make maybe make similar dis, uh, experiences in many regards. <clears throat> and also, I think it also has a, something to do with how you feel. Yeah, but, you know, uh, it is something that you can observe in the history of the art uh, and artists 
You know, we all, uh, I think it was Brian Eno who said it in one uh, interview that I watched a few years ago. And I really liked, the, well, he, he's, a, he's a wise man and it's always good to, to, to listen to some of his uh, observations. I mean, at least I, 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 uh, they, they do me good. Same I'm for me as well. Sensitive to what this man has to say and uh, his observations, and this was this one was was very good because it touched. You know, he said basically that we all think that somebody like Shostakovich, Bach, Picasso, that these guys were you know like uh, born talents and they just wherever they were, they bought, they did all this and then they they went away and they left all this body of create creativity and the creation that we can just you know look at it and like go like wow what a genius he was, but. Actually, if you study their life, you see that most of them actually did uh, make a move toward an, an environment in which they could flourish and that will push out of them their potential. And this is a very important part for me. And this is actually why it was good for me to move out of, Bel out of Belgrade at that moment because uh, being in an environment where I was surrounded by other big artists and not just, you know, imagining them from Belgrade and waiting for them to pass on these few festivals and the periods where there was something, something happening, even though it was not, not that little, but being here and being in a city where, the idea of playing jazz was, you know, much more relaxed and not like scholar thing like this is jazz and this is like, the rest is shit. Like, you know, I mean, this kind of apprenticeship that I had from older jazz musicians in Belgrade, not all of them, but some of them were very precise and still are about what is jazz and what is not jazz. At the period of being teenager, it did serve me for something because, you know, I did understand why certain aspects are, you know, separated from the others. But it's like, you know, the idea of religion. Uh, if religion excludes something, all the other things that are not comprised in this religion, I'm not interested in it at all. Yeah, because it's for me, dogmatic. It's like different, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's supposed to be like a different aesthetic ways to come to the idea of a superior being. And we all have some idea about it. So, you know, Buddhism would be this aesthetic. Islam would be this aesthetic. Christianity and all its different paths would be this thing. And so most, you know, luckily there are all these aesthetics that pushed people from different parts of the planet to uh, create all these things in awe in front of the idea of a supreme being. You know, So in the music, it's exactly the same thing. I mean, jazz is already something we can discuss for our world, like what exactly is the jazz, you know? But being like, this is jazz and this is not jazz. Okay, but I don't recognize myself. Kind of missing the point very much, right? Especially nowadays. Well, yeah, because basically the most important thing in jazz, in what's called jazz, is the fact that it's the mixture of total different cultures. Yeah. Basically, you had like European music with all its beauty and complexity and everything that happened throughout the centuries until the 19th century. And then this music was approached by African slaves who didn't need it, who were, learned, who were used on learning music just by listening to it. So that's basically the, you know, so 
and it came like the Senate, somebody then, some journalist. And important thing is that it happened in the third neutral land, which was the land of the United States of America, you know, or Carib Islands. That's where it really, this sound generated. And then New Orleans and New Orleans went to, you know, something that made people dance and it was uh, uh, a music that was uh, soldable. You could sell it. And then they put the label on it, jazz. But most of the jazz musicians, even when I was studying this music, and, and I mean, like Dizzy Gillespie, he never wanted to use this word, or he would use it, but he would always call it like American art form, yeah. which was not modest at all. But basically, it's true that it, if there was one clearly American art form that mixed European and African culture, well, that was it. And also, if I mean, if one listens to certain pieces of art created by, let's say, Charles Mingus or Miles Davis or even Duke Ellington. I mean, you, you can, you, in, in some things, you can also find them being, having been influenced by, you know, the classical tradition as well. So, Well, it's not just this, you know, you, you, you pulled out really a very important names, you know. Miles was coming from a you know, wealthy family. His father was dentist in St. Louis, as long as I know, and uh, he had money to 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 study in. Uh, what it's called this? Uh, it wasn't he at Juilliard in the beginning. Juilliard, yeah, yeah. Juilliard in, in New York, which was classical school. Like you know, I studied Mokranjac in Belgrade, so there was no jazz in it. But twenty, uh, thirty years before him, you had Duke Ellington. Duke Ellington. Definitely wanted wanted to to become. He was amazed by classical music. Yeah, yeah. And then somebody had to tell them, "Do you have a mirror at home, buddy?" Yeah, you're black. Like, no, why? But look at look look at the color of your skin. It's like even today in 2021, if you look like there's not many musicians who really make a big career in classical music and being black, which is it's 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 crazy. I really thought like that it was a past the, the story of the past. It's not so back then. You can imagine you know, that uh, a black kid comes like I want to learn classical music. Like, <laughs> so I I can just imagine what kind of a frustration it had to create inside of them because they were touched by grace of all this beautiful music. So then they they just had to create their own shit, which is exactly what they did. You know, if you listen to the suites of Duke Ellington, it's not jazz. It's not, uh, it's a special music that he called jungle music. Not because of jungle rhythm, because it's the organization of something super complex and vivid and with many details, but it works. And that's what I, why I think that he called it jungle music, you know, because it's like, wow, but it works as an organization. So, yeah. Miles, uh, it was the same thing. And, you know, they were all touched by the grace of uh, European uh, classical music composers. And it was impossible for them to even imagine that they would make a career as, uh, as, as musicians. In, in classical as world, yeah. So just, they just found, had, had to invent their own thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if we talk about creation or continue talking about it, I mean, you, you have published many albums as a leader, And uh, it's starting with the album Boyan Z Quartet, which I think was in 93. And the last one until now being your second solo piano album called Soul Shelter from, I think, 2012. So 
in your discography, you use different settings and you work with many different musicians from different countries and cultural backgrounds. And, you know, to start discussing your body of work as a leader or composer, for me, I, I will point out the album Xenophonia from 2006 and for two reasons. Firstly, it was the first one I had the chance to listen to at all. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. Uh, yeah. Why not? Yeah. My my friend uh, Roman Babik, who's a piano player from Wuppertal, where I live, he he gave it to me and he said, "Hey man, you have to listen to this. You will love it." Because he knew, you know, you knew he knew what what music I was into. Uh, and secondly, you know, I mean, I have listened to it so many times, and still I love to listen to it after all those years. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm really glad glad to hear this. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a pleasure. I, I didn't become insensitive to this uh, all the country. You know. Yeah, and and then and then also I think this album has a very special vibe, you know, to it. Um, like you know the way how how the compositions are written and then how it's performed and how it sounds, production, like everything basically, you know. And uh, and one very like let's say like one very um, crucial element of of the sound you created is that you are, additionally to the grand piano, you are also using the Fender Rhodes piano on this album, yeah. but you are not using it in the, way, in the way as it's widely known and loved in, let's say, jazz or 70s funk music or pop music. And you found a new way, a unique way to use it uh, by, you know, um, working with new, new ways to tune it, using microtones, and also you worked a lot with, the, you know, with distortion, Uh, and, there, and there are some some songs where it almost sounds like an electric distorted rock guitar. This way, it became like a whole new instrument, which is called the xenophone. <laughs> and so, how did you come to develop the xenophone, and and what comes in mind for you when you think back of composing and recording this particular album? All right, thanks for this question too, because uh, I. I It is a subject, <laughs> and I, I still have a vivid uh, and alive uh, memory about uh, of most of these uh, uh, events and, and moments. So basically, what happened is that it turned out. Uh, it started it all started by the idea that in 2003 I pulled out my Fender Rhodes that was in the garage, like most of them for six, six years and I was just looking at this black box and didn't pull it out since because I was mostly playing acoustic piano. And then a, a friend of mine and a colleague that I worked with already for years, Julien Leroux, he told me, no, I'd like to make a, a, an, an album, a project, but I would hear you play mostly keyboards and, you know, Fender Rhodes. I said, you still have it? I said, yeah, I do. And it was the one that I bought in Panchevo, close to Panchevo, like when I was a kid. It was like a gift if I finished the primary music school from my father. It was like a karate, you know. Good like one. <laughs> for, for a donkey to advance, he had Fender Rhodes in front. Well, that was nice uh, karate, man. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, but I didn't use it for years. And then I took it out. It was like all, because there was like some... some uh, inundations in garage and it was like all green the champignons like basically I really had to uh, clean it thoroughly and clean the the oxidation and the, you know 
rust and everything. So I took it out, and while I was cleaning it, I kind of getting interested in mechanical part of feather rolls. And of course, I loved the sounds and so on. And then while I'm doing this, I, I heard, you know, that that was the moment where in Belgrade you could find fender rolls for like such a small money because people are getting rid of it because it's taking a lot of place and nobody was using it. Mm. So I asked my brother if he could find me one. My brother was a guitar player. He died last year. That's why he was the word. was. So I this. And, uh, and he basically... You know, he found a place and he thought, okay, next time you come to Belgrade, I, uh, it's a, a wife of the Lola, the bass player who just died. Oh, man, Lola, I knew Lola, yeah. Well, you know, he, his wife, uh, she's selling. And, okay, then let's go there. So basically went there and I saw this woman who was, you know, her husband was legendary uh, bass player in Belgrade, uh, died and she was, you know, he broke when he died and she had two daughters one of them was uh, very nicely uh, passionate about classical piano she went gained a lot of prizes as a classical piano player so basically i found my there and then she opened this big uh, place with instrument that she was selling to to get some money and there was like a a half of fender rolls with half pieces missing mm. But I was in a trap because I was there. I saw that she needs money. And my brother was like, you see, it's a, it's a good deal I found for you. No, it was not a good deal for me. It was a good deal for her. But I didn't feel like not buying it. You cannot just go walk away and say, oh, sorry. Yeah. So basically I bought uh, uh, half keys of inside guts of Fender Rhodes without a box, without anything. <laughs> and I paid like uh, 300 euros, which was like, you know, for that money, you you, you could find uh, a real Fender Rhodes, uh, you know, with everything. But I found myself, you know, yeah, okay, I'll have this woman out and that's a good deed. So fuck it. Yeah. It's not a big, big, big thing for me. Like the, the, this money was uh, okay. But I really didn't come to have, a, you know, cheap Fender Rhodes. But it corresponded to the fact that I was already passionate by, you know, the, the mechanical side of it. So basically what I started doing is I was starting find, uh, uh, finding pieces, mi missing pieces on eBay. Okay. <laughs> and then I found, you know, like, uh, okay, missing pieces and I bought all of them. But it was like kind of a, I had to reconstruct the Fender Rhodes and I already had one. So basically, I said, okay, this one is working okay, so I will have a normal Fender Rhodes. But what will I do? And maybe I can find some kind of a hybrid instrument. And I was already, you know, amazed by quarter notes that you could find in uh, uh, Turkish, no, Arabic, makams and Arabic music and everything, you know. But I doing it on the piano. Well, no, because there's three strings to 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 tune instead of one. And Fender Rhodes, you know, it's just one. The, so yeah, so basically I, 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 I use this one to get these makams and you know see if I can do this on stage because it's doable. To make long story short, if it's possible, I started you know constructing these things and putting the the tines and everything. But then when I when I was doing it, I said, okay, I'm not going to try to make them sound even. Mm. I'm going to leave them in an odd way. 
and see what it gives. And then, of course, detune them with this idea of having uh, Eastern uh, Arabic Makam scales. And while doing it, well, it really turned out to have a very specific sound. And I even tried to, by by fixing it, I really tried to approach the sound of Fender Rhodes more to Wurlitzer, because I realized that if you do it like this, oh, it gets this Wurlitzer sound. I mean, it was just experimentation. And I really wanted to get out of this classical Herbie Hancock Fender Rhodes sound that everybody was running after. Nah, I mean, he did it. So let me try to do something else here. And then I had, uh, you know, I bought a, you know, once you go in one direction, then all these little de- details and moments start mingling in. I found a guy that was making a preamp, which permit me to take out the middle thing. And then suddenly we approached to the guitar. And my brother is a guitar player. So he always, when, as a kid, you know, as a guitar players had more success with girls because they had this follows instrument and looking at them <laughs> while we were looking at the keys and, you know, whatever. We were not that often in eye contact with girls. I mean, I'm a bassist, so so I know what you're talking about. (laughs) I know you know. (laughs) But the people who are listening to us, maybe they don't. Uh, and basically, you know, that was one one of the things that I was, you know, uh, one of my my first instrument that I really took in, in, in the hands and I had knowledge of guitar and distortion and all these things. And like I mentioned, there was, a, you know, I, I listened a lot to Smuck, the the group from Ser- rock group from Serbia, and especially one one album uh, uh, that I was witnessing the last concert of this band, of the you know the which was ha- happening in Tash in in Kalemegdan fortress in Belgrade, and it was the the album called Zašto nevolim snake Why don't I like the snow, and basically it's more a guitarist uh, album Radomir Mihalovic Tochak. And on this album, this guy, actually it was his brother died and he was completely in, into dark mood and he plays Stratocaster with microtones. And it was like my main inspiration is this album. And then I realized that, you know, uh, oh yeah, I can get these things, from, you know, these notes on Fender Rhodes. And with this preamp, I could get really close to the attack of the guitar just by pulling out of the middles because... I'm, there were already a lot of examples from Chikoria and other guys where they played Fender Rhodes with distortion, but they would not go as deep as mean frequency things. They would just, you know, put distortion because the amp they had had distortion, so they just played like this. And I really uh, made a bit more research about it, and that's how I came to this thing. And then I was observing the reactions when you play a keyboard with these makams and notes, and people were like, oh. So it looked like, you know, strange, stranger phone. And it was a word game that came for all this thing. But it started from the instrument. It was like, in, you know, xenophon, <laughs> stranger phone. And well, hey, xenophonia. And that gave actually the birth to, to the... And then I realized that I'm about to be in France 20 years, which is the same period. I'm about to cross the period that I was abroad or I was not in my home country. Uh, I left when I was 20, and it was 20 years that I was in France. It was like a good period where I realized that I'm a professional stranger. Yeah, I, I was already t- treated as a stranger in Belgrade because I was so long not there. That, no, no, he's, he's maybe from here, but he's not one of us. And here I was still treated as, uh, you know, uh, he's not French. So professional stranger. So all these things came like, you know, 
in the place, and that's exactly what I tried to pull out in the in this album. Now, composi- composition-wise, well, it was all the ideas that I had at that moment. You know, I the first tune called uh, "Opener," I think, or "Ulas." Yeah, "Ulas." Yeah, Ulas. The, the intro. Basically, nobody knew that we were recording. It's a sound. It's a sound check. Yeah, you just jammed. We just jammed, but I did get in deal with the sound engineer. Like I'd look at him, like turn it on. I didn't know. I didn't want them, them to, you know, the other musicians to know, because basically, when you know that it's recording, you get all serious, and you. And actually, it's very often the best energy you can find is during the sound checks before the concerts. Because everybody's relaxed, everybody thinks like, oh, yeah, yeah, more bass in my monitor. (laughs) But the way the music is played is like exactly the way it should be. So this idea I started, you know, uh, using on xenophonia, uh, using the tunes where people were not thinking about the fact that that it was recording. And that's one of the techniques uh, that was used on it. Several tunes. And uh, yeah, then... That there was this mixing of acoustic and electric uh, thing that was uh, present. And it was the moment where I learned how to use Pro Tools too, which permitted me, you know, to sit at home and open the session. It was back in 2005, so quite some, some time ago. And I think I was one of the first jazz musicians here to get interested in this aspect. Because, you know, it was young musicians that were already into D-A-W. Uh, while, uh, you know, jazz guys, they would always leave it for, to the sound guys. But it was like costly. You know? So I learned how to listen to all the, you know, the tracks. And then I was listening to the sound of that mic that stayed open and it was not used. And so, oh, this gives a nice room. And actually, I kind of was getting into uh, sound architecture of the album. Then I, when I went to mix with the, my sound engineer, Philippe Tessier-Ducro, I had a, a pretty precise idea of what we should, you know, have What you want to go uh, for. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, and I'm very glad to hear, and I heard quite a lot of people who have this as a, a uh, very positive reference as a piano trio and as an album with a with a concept in sound, and even Nagara, because it was uh, 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 mastering was done from Nagara to uh, through analog cable and then back to digital. So Nagara uses this album for the demonstration of its machines, and I'm you know very proud of this fact. There you go. I think I answered your question. My my answers are long, man. <laughs> no, but it's, but it's cool. It, it's, it's the perfect. fault are your questions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, but this is actually what this show of mine, this little show, is about. I, I don't want to, you know, I, I I don't think it's it's like our responsibility to pay attention to the fact that the attention span of people is, you know, so low. So. The answers are as long as they need to be, and it's cool. Okay, <laughs> I, I, love I, it. hope they're, I hope they, they're interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah, maybe if we if we talk about the the album Soul Shelter for a little bit, like I mentioned earlier, it's from 2012, and it's I think you, it's your second solo piano recording, yeah. right? Yeah, and and also for me, very fascinating, and I and this album I really love too, since you sent it to me several years back <laughs> and you know and, and this 
of course, the, the uh, one very special thing about it is that only you playing and you're not accompanied by uh, anybody else. But then also when I, you know, when we listen to the music and the composition, compositions, there's a lot of musical influences coming together, like obviously jazz or black music in the, in the brightest sense, but then traditional classical. And you also use the piano in many different ways. For instance, there's songs where you also play grooves and beats in the way like a drummer would do, you know, and like to sum it up it's it's a very special album and i also i, I still love to listen to it and uh, so the question would be like you know how how is your approach when you compose or when you plan a production like this where you where it's only you as opposed to composing for for like a trio or like a band with with even more musicians since i started recording my on albums, I think I was never pushed by, you know, producer like, okay, this year you have to do three of them. Uh, then you have, you know, no, I was mostly doing albums when I had something to say. I didn't, you know, as, as I approached my career, I mean, I'm not somebody who's really running after it and running after the crowd and likes and stuff like this. I mean, I just think that it's a, and which is uh, making it quite hard uh, uh, existence in nowadays because everybody's, you know, it became almost like a, uh, a accepted thing that if you have a lot of likes, well, you are somebody important for the arts. If you don't have, well, <laughs> fuck you, you are just, you know, uh, you think you're big, but you ain't important because the people don't are not going after you. Yeah. But whatever, I still think that, uh, you know, I'm trying to do my best and that's it. You know, and I'm not trying to do my best by learning new techniques of selling on, on, and presenting myself as somebody who is important and running up to the likes in the crowd. But apparently I'll have to learn something about it because you don't have to use these means because uh, there, I don't think there will be, a, a, you know, going back to my, my old habits and the, the old habits of uh, uh, the way artists were communicating with the public. Now everybody's yeah. artist and everybody can communicate to their public. Yeah. So whatever. Uh, but to come back on your question, which was uh, a soul shelter. So yeah, when, when, it, when it came to soul shelter, uh, it was the moment when I felt I had something to say. You know, I didn't do the album since uh, 2009, I think, which was the one yeah. before, so like four years. And actually always there were, there were like several years passing by because I needed to have a life experience to have something to work on my, you know, inspiration. Mm. And then I would say, okay, this maybe would be something original to put, you know, that had, have, has reason to, to be stopped on the sound support. So basically that's uh, how it happened. You know, I had an idea of going and record in Italy, uh, in Fazioli, which is, they, they're, they're my favorite pianos since 97 that I, I think I used on most of my recordings always Fadioli pianos. But then I wanted to, to, to go further by recording in their concert hall, which is which was the, the, the start of the idea. And then I realized that, you know, that basically I, I was in a hard period of uh, writing music. Uh, and it was like one of the first moments that I really lost my wish to communicate beauty and... Uh, aesthetics to the people because of the world was going in a such a shitty direction 
and then I realized that it's a trap, you know, because I was still following news and, uh, you know, after all these wars and uh, instead of becoming better, well, it basically did not. So then I said, well, I think I will stop, uh, is, I'll isolate myself in a, you know, instead of looking inspiration from outside, let me see if there is still something going going inside here. So I kind of, you know, turned towards myself and closed myself here in the countryside and uh, basically turned out all the uh, mainstream medias, mostly TVs and radios and stuff like this. And I really stopped following these things. And yeah, there were some, some things to say, but, you know, coming out of the clearness of my inner soul. And that's where the title comes from. You know, Soul Shelter is like, you know, I had to isolate myself and just to get out of my primary uh, wish to communicate aesthetics, which is still very alive, but I should not wait from the outside world to give me reasons to do it, you know. You have to cut out the noise. Exactly, exactly. And the noise and the nonsense, you know, it's just, just this. But yeah, uh, it's still as hard to want to go out. And this is actually one of the main reasons why I still didn't record since this album. And we're, it's, it's almost, we're coming almost to 10 years. Not because I was not, not creative, but really I had no energy to confront everything that needs to be confronted in order to release an album in a do quality and the label and everything. Because in the meantime, this world really exploded completely. So yeah, I'm just slowly now coming to a point where I think that it would be nice to to uh, document at least uh, the, the the creativity that I had throughout these past years and uh, what, what's happening in my mind right now. So I think I'll, I'll 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 work on it anyhow and pull out the albums or maybe not the albums, anyhow, the music will be released, the recording music will be released. In which form, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'm about to see. Yeah. But, yeah. but uh, on the Soul Shelter album, I mean, like I said, I, I really love it and I listen to it a lot, very often. Thank you. But one song which really, you know, struck me in a particular way is the opening song, Full Half Moon. And I mean, I don't even know how to describe why it, you know, why it took me so so much on the emotional level but um is like what what is the story behind this particular the song the story is uh, uh basically it's, it's a tune dedicated to Sarajevo so i think uh, if so then know i know this, why <laughs> then i think it might might touch you in a in a very sp specific way you know sarajevo is a place where the biggest amount of my family comes from on my mother's and father's side. Uh, and I was going there as a kid, you know, since I was born. I spent like months uh, in Sarajevo with the different members of my family. And this is, a, you know, a, a town and the energy that I know since, you know, beginning of 70s until the beginning of the war. And then I skipped the, the war years because I was much more useful being in France than being there. And I was more useful even for the people who were in Sarajevo from that other position, instead of having them worry about me plus all the rest. 
So, uh, and then I went back to Sarajevo when Edin Zukric invited me to, to play there, like, which was in 99, first time, which two years after the grenades stopped falling. Yeah, he started his festival very early after the war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like he got out of the cave, dust, dust off, and I want to do a jazz festival. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Yeah. But that's why, that's why I like him a lot, because he's... Uh, enough crazy to to do what his soul tells him to do in spite of the fact that it will cost him his life <laughs> and uh, but uh, what I want to say is that you know uh, I had already you know one of the things I, I remember one particular moment I, uh, I was visiting my family I think it was one of the years when I played there because beginning of uh, uh Uh, November and actually as now all the religious uh, feasts are celebrated by this groupation which is in Sarajevo so it was uh, what happened is it was like uh, all saints I think it was like first or second November and I was at my mother's aunt place and she had, she had a flat that really had a beautiful view on Trebevich. It's like, you know, close to the center, but a bit from the heights. And I got out on the, on, on the terrace and I realized that there was an amazing thing happening. There were bells of, of the church because of All Saints. And I, it was in B flat. Do, 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 do. So this, and at the same time, that was a, a Muslim prayer, Ezan, from a mosque, But the guy was doing it on B flat. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that was, and I, I think I have some somewhere this recording. And it was so good, you know, that music still, <laughs> see what I mean? Still there combined. The, yeah. So that was one of the first things like, oh man, man this, 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 this city is a, is, a, is a crazy place, you know, with all these energies and uh, contradictions and uh, miseries and everything. And the fact that, you know, like many other places, that they, these people, they permit themselves to be uh, driven by political idiots who just steal the money and get yeah, fucking themselves sad. up. I mean, it's, in France, it's the same thing, unfortunately. That's why I try to uh, avoid the, these uh, people as much as I can. Yeah. But anyhow, and this world. Because it's, uh, <laughs> uh, so this was the beginning of the idea. Then I had these uh, elements of, uh, you know, uh, this chorale, which is more like classical music. But then this leading into, which is definitely something oriental. And like all this idea of uh, trying to make some, some music that will comp uh, have all these elements of different aesthetics and always trying to make some logic in, you know, not like parallel words, worlds, not like, you know, the, the world music that is done by like, you, know, you take the, the Eskimo singer and you <laughs> a little, put some, little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Just, and always a steady beat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and then it's, you know. No, I like uh, doing it in a different way. So 
basically, I had all these elements. And then I was in Sarajevo invited by Edo to work with Damir, Damir Imamovic and Eric Ployman and Bashar Khalifa. It was like one of the uh, tries out to make a band on the festival that Edin created, and he called it Xenophonia as my album. But it was lasting only two years or three years because it was like too much. Sarajevo could not follow that, you know, another festival that was a bit too close to jazz, whatever. Edin could, could tell you a bit more about why it stopped. Uh, but it was, I remember we were having this rehearsal and I was trying to get this tune for this project. And during the rehearsal, oh, it's, you know, like Tetris, it started making sense and all these parts that were separated, that they started, and they got together. I said, oh, I see how to, you know, construct this tune and it's going to be great. And we got out of the, the BKC, Bosnian Cultural Center, uh, where the restaurant was, you know, close to Miljatska. And I remember we got out and I looked, man, and there was this huge big moon. And of course, at the same time, there was Ezan, you know, the Muslim prayer ringing over the city. And I had the title. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Full half moon, because that's exactly what it was. You know, like half moon being a symbol of uh, Islam. Do you know why a star in the half moon are the symbols of Islam? To be honest, I don't. <laughs> it's very simple. It's not, you know, I mean, it, it became a, a sign that is supposed to make the Western world be afraid because when you see the sign, well, soon it's going to be a big boom, you know, <laughs> and many people will die. But basically it's it's because the, the, the calendar in, in, in Islam is counted by, by moon Uh, cycles. Moon cycles, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Ciao, bye, bye. That's the reason. Yeah, and all the rest is uh, interpretation. Yeah, but w wonderful. I mean, f from this song, there there have been several versions. Oh, there there's a new one coming out in March. I didn't let this thing go. Oh, yeah, I produced a Michel Portal album, and I think this one is the, will be the most orchestrated. Blah blah blah. I mean. Cool. And a different arrangement than, than, than I did uh, on the other ones. But uh, I'm pretty happy about this one. You know? So, yeah, there is one on Nenad Vasilic's album. And I did this solo and I played it with Julien as well, a duo. But it turned out that, uh, you know, it, it ended up on this album. But you'll hear it when, when it will be released. I'll, I'll send you the, the, the album. Cool. Yeah, it's really wonderful. Actually, I had the plan, which I never came to realize. I, I wanted to record a version Of it with just with bass, you know, with many with different bass voices. Man, if you need any any help, like you know, a sheet music or thing like this, I'll 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 be I'll be glad to send it to you. Yeah, thank you. I I, I really have been this idea in four years. Oh, it could sound great, man. Of course, there's is overdubbing. Yeah, exactly. I could imagine, but it's very challenging, so I didn't dare to do it yet. <laughs> Whenever you get the, 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 the moment, just let me know. Okay, cool. So maybe if you know if we could talk a little bit about musicians, let's say. If I'm informed correctly, you have a trio, which is for a very long time consisting of the double bassist Thomas Brameri. I hope I'm pronouncing the name right. Yeah, good. And and the drummer Martin Fink. Yeah. And so especially in, in jazz contexts context is like not that often that a group of musicians 
really plays together for a very long time, <clears throat> you know. So what what is it that makes you want to play with, with Thomas and Martin for so long? And the second question is like, which which particular qualities or characteristics are you looking for when you choose musicians for your projects? Okay. So the, I was laughing while you were saying the first question, because actually it's true that we are playing together since uh, already 10 years, but there's another detail we never recorded with this trio. Yeah. 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 But that's, that's because of my specific relation to the idea of making an album. I need to have a team that, that I feel good with, you know, and it was not the case in the last years. But uh, so that's the first thing. And why I play with them, because, I mean, they have all the qualities that I would need in the idea of, uh, you know, jazz, idiom, plus openings, uh, drummer and, and bassist. First, they like playing with, with each other. Martin likes playing with Toma and Toma likes playing with, with, with Martin. And for me, as a, as a you know, then, then, then I have a, what you call a killing rhythm section for me as a pianist. And simply, Martin is, uh, you know, a, a very musical soul, and he uh, plays this instrument in um, in a way that corresponds to me and my sense of groove and uh, uh, elegance. And same counts for Toma. But the, the, the fact is, like, you know, with all these uh, moments that we live now, it's like I, I, I had concerts that were postponed by them already for, you know, third time and I haven't been playing with them for way too long and I, I miss them you know because this is how you keep on advancing the, the, the musicianship is by playing you know concerts yeah being together spending time together exactly playing, talking everything exactly so that's uh, you know the personal qualities is definitely one of the things that I look for in my choice of musicians means they should be nice people to, to, to be with. Uh, if they're, you know, assholes and uh, problematic people in the sense that they just look for the problems for the sake of looking for the problems or making tension, then I will not go for them, even if they're great, great players. Because I learned this from Boško Petrovic back in Grozny on my first jazz course, but when he said, you know, Beba, it's very important to know who you are working with because concerts la concert lasts for one hour and then you have 23 hours left to be with an asshole. And it's, uh, he was fucking right, you know, because, you know, we spend so much time together that, you know, and I've been in situations where the guys weren't really making things complicated for no reason whatsoever because of their personal problems and stuff like this. And it's very hard. Especially if you go on a long tour, That's yeah. the latest one where you will find out how how much of a, you know how much of a drag it can be, and it, it, it leads to nothing being fun anymore. So most of the musicians that I play with are are you know chosen, of course, on their musical talents, but as well as as the people that that I'd like to to present myself with, and to travel with, and to live with, you know. And that makes things a bit more complicated, you know, because uh, great musicians, there are, you know, a lot of them, but then it should be a match as well on the personal level. So, yeah, well, that's why I'm not changing very often the musicians that I play with, even though I like trying new things and new people and uh, crossing my energies with, with other guys. 
and I'm still doing it quite quite a lot. But once I find something that works, well, I'm not afraid of going extra miles with with these people. You know, if you take somebody like Amira Medunian, it's the same thing. Uh, you know, we worked together already for quite some times. And uh, it's still pleasure because humanly amongst us, there is a, an understanding. You know? Yeah, I, that would have actually have been my next question anyway. You, know, you see? Because... Anticipation. <laughs> 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 yeah, because, I mean, you know, you have, of course, done lots of work as a sideman too, which would we could also talk about this for, for an hour because there's so many interesting corporations and albums in that regard but but you also work as a producer and most notably it was in the last couple of years at least um in in that regard it was the albums you did with amira and it's not just the albums but, but you also play live together you go on the road together and this is very special in the way that obviously she's wonderful she's a wonderful and very unique singer And she is rooted in the Bosnian Sevdah music, but additionally to Sevdah, she also allows herself the freedom, which I really love, to, to sing, basically sing uh, songs from, from all over what used to be Yugoslavia. So she sings Serbian songs, Macedonian songs. Well, that's, that, that's, that's her first problem, you know. That's one of the things that makes her, especially back home in Sarajevo, she's looked like, you know, somebody who's not respecting the tradition. You know. But that's their problem because uh, the, the best way of, of, uh, of uh, for me of keeping the tradition is be aware of it. Definitely. That's the first thing. But then, you know, open open up the thing, uh, you know, because you cannot define Sevda, he's not Bosnian. It's not just... Yeah, yeah. God, so, oh, <laughs> frontiers... Are invented by humans, by see, political yeah. Yeah. Uh, moments in history. Yeah, uh, the music can correspond to certain geographical place, but the feeling and the emotion that is at the back of it, you can find it as well in Macedonian music, in Serbian music, in Bosnian music, in you know, and that's that's what what this. Uh, Propos and the, the 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 message that that we have by working together with Amira is is this. Of course, she knows very well Bosnian stars and stars of Sevdak and big creators of this music. But whatever, I mean, uh, I think she called me with idea that they should be opened and uh, you know, uh, with all due respect to the tradition. But I will, I'm not going to sing like and play with accordion and violin and exactly the same instruments that were done because simply I'm, I'm, then I, it's not my job. There are other guys who still can Has been done already. the sound. Yeah, and of course. And, you know, most of the... I, I recently listened to, uh, you know, uh, another uh, project that was done already quite some time ago. It was Amar... Uh, Cheshler, you know, he did this uh, uh, band with uh, uh, Maria Shestich was, was singing and there's an entire concert to listen to. And that's for me... A, a, I watched it a couple of times. You agree with me that, that that's, that's yeah. really pretty much different than what we did with, uh, with, with Amira, but yes. it has 
it's it's a great attempt, and not just attempt, but it's like a, yeah. a, a enough uh, uh, artistic challenging uh, project. Uh, and it's pity that they didn't push this to you know some kind of a, a recording of the album. I absolutely agree because you know I, I stumbled upon it sometime. I don't know, like at night when I check out things on YouTube. You see, but you do you you agree with me because it's like not at all the same kind of a you know approach to it because it keeps more traditional uh, thing in. But then they have ideas of uh, uh, bringing it in a in a different way, and it makes sense, and it makes and it's like you know artistic statement in front of the public that heard the, the melodies they know sang and uh, musicianed in a way that still corresponds to the idea of Sevdakh, but just put in some kind of a more modern light that made sense because you can as well make big mistakes and uh, uh, taste errors by doing this, which is, which is okay too, you know. But for me, that was a good example. And I don't think I told this to Amar nor to Maria, but I better do like you said, when you compare it to what you do with Amira, it's very different. But this, you know, but but it has its uh, value, uh, at the, and this shows how you know how diverse the music is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, most of more, most of the tunes they they, they played on, the, on on this concert, I didn't know them. Most of the, you said that tune, like, okay. So that means that they were digging, not just taking like uh, those that everybody sings, like the first ones that, that would be sang in the restaurants, you know, but, you know, a bit more research, which is one of the things that we were doing as well with Amira, who is uh, pretty good as an internet digger herself. You know, I listened to the albums and then also there was an album, um, a live album, I think it was from Zagreb, right? Where... The live album is from Arena, from Pula. Ah, from Pula, yeah. Where, where there's also like not just you guys and, and the band you had with Nenad on bass, but there's also an orchestra, you know, so in, you, you even expanded in that direction. Well, uh, uh, if we talk about DVD, there is, the DVD is not with Nenad, it's already with Zvonimir Shestak and Ante Gelo, but there is, it's with the Trondheim Solistene uh, Orchestra. This is, what, this is the band that, that, that was filmed and released by... Uh, Croatia Records, uh, uh, I think it was two or three years ago, something like this. But there are recordings of the concerts with Nenad and uh, Zagrebački Solisti from Zagreb. So maybe you're just mixing this. So I'm mixing it up. Yeah. Okay. But anyhow, this this body of work with the, uh, and it became, I think, uh, well, I guess for a singer, it's a consecration of the career when you end up singing with the, you know, symphony orchestra or strings orchestra at the back it's uh, it's uh, something big and uh, ante is a, is a is a well known ante Gale is, is quite well known in in croatia as the guy who writes arrangements for orchestras he studied this matter in graz i guess and he developed it a lot so yeah so ante started writing the, the arrangements for her and then actually we mixed uh, this thing once we had a concert with the dubrovnik uh, uh, symphony orchestra in dubrovnik and that's where i found myself writing certain things for the first time in my life you know and asking ante quite some advices and stuff like this but that's you know it ended up uh, on the album called uh, ascension i think ascending 
and that's where we recorded this music uh, with the Trondheim uh, solist string orchestra. If we just for a second go back to what we have been talking about earlier, like, like her as a singer choosing to, you know, to sing just songs which, which move her soul and touch her and not uh, paying attention to, is it a Bosnian song? Is it from whatever, from Macedonia? I don't know. Um, but when I, like for me as a listener, you know, when I listen to an album, like for instance, the first one, Amulet, or also what, the other, what, what followed, For me, it sounds like one. Well, that was that, that was that, that that's that's how I took the the job that, that was offered to me as a producer, because th these criteria are already something that I used in my own music when I was mixing Balkan and jazz idiom. So basically, it definitely sent me back to you know my first album. I did the version of Grano Bora, and that was what Amira loved. And when she heard, you know, she knew my album before we started working together, and that's why she contacted me. It was proposed by Edin Zutrich at the beginning, but of course she was uh, already uh, imagining that it would be great uh, to to find herself working with me. And then what matched the most is, you know, for me it's, uh, in spite of the music, you know, very often I don't have that much to, to, to do as a piano player. And then very often I'm playing out and just being there. Or... If it's duo, then I have everything to do. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> uh, basically for me, there is something else in as a mission in what I do with Amira. Uh, and it's, you know, this story of uh, South Slavic tribes uh, shooting each other and killing each other. And then when you put them in, the, in front of the music, uh, they all cry at the same moment, you know, <laughs> yeah. of, the, of, the, of the song. <laughs> Yeah. How different are we? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so that's that's for me the main reason why we already uh, go left and right and we play all these concerts back and forth because, you know, uh, the way simply her voice touches the people's soul and it's exactly the same moments that it touches Slovenian soul and Macedonian soul. So, you know, uh, sorry, guys, but uh, if I need something to prove me that we are not impossibly different, which makes our coexistence uh, impossible, well, sorry, this is political bullshit and at the back is something completely different. Yeah, yeah. That I would not put the word on, I'll let the others do it, you know, but for me it's, uh, you know. And me coming, you know, from a mixed Bosnian-Serbian, being born in Belgrade, having Boyan and Zulfikar Pasic, and all these things, like, so so what? It's It makes just a, I'm, I'm a perfect client to, to do these kind of things, you know. Yeah, yeah. With conviction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and... and Because basically, in the end, that's what we, no matter where you, which way you try to approach it, that's where, where all of us will end up anyway, realizing that we are and the same. The, and there's the, no the, earlier we realize it, better it will be for the quality of life that we will have. And better it will be for the others. <laughs> yes, definitely. As we already mentioned before, you know, we are living in a time right now where we are very much surrounded by negativity and lots of fear which is created by politics, media, you name it. Um, and there's also lots of distraction going on everywhere, like with the, with the phones and with the, uh, being bombarded by advertisements, by what, I, I don't know, like whatever. 
And so it can be quite challenging, you know, to keep up optimism and, and positive thinking. So very much so. Yeah. So, 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 you know, how, how would be your perspective? Well, it, it is a trap. It is a trap. Uh, this one is a, a big one because, you know, uh, concerning the artists and the stage people, uh, we are forbidden to work or we are put in front of a very de delicate situation, which is we should do it from home for free. And that's a big danger for me from the very beginning when I saw people running in front of their screens and doing that, but, 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 da, 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 you know, uh, playing and practicing and everything. I mean, you know, people already uh, were not paying for the record, you know, for records, not buying recorded music anymore, which was one of the main uh, incomes besides the stage that we have. And now we are deprived of uh, uh, existence means by not being able to work. And then the thing we will do, like, We owe something to our public. So let's do, you know, we will make you go through these difficult times. They're fucking difficult for us too, even more than for them. Most of the people that, that, that work in other fields, they got paid and they continued working. And for me, it's like, you know, one year without being able to, to earn money. And it's not something that is taboo for me, not at all. Like, guys, I'll be having to sell out The, uh, the gear that I'm using for making music, you know, and it's a serious situation. So, you know, it's not something that should be not speak, spoken of because, well, how come? Well, then you, it's your, your fault because you didn't get rich when, while you could. Get off of it, you know. It is, a, it is a real problem. But behind all this, it's not the trap is exactly this, that I start speaking about it and then you feel only the hatred coming out of my, or the frustration coming out of my being. It's not the case. I'm still, you know, pretty much, because I know that, that it's a trap. But I feel like having to express myself about it, but it doesn't really touch my basic motors in life, which is uh, uh, love for art and wanting to communicate this to a big number of people you know, that, that, that surround me. Because I do this, it seems that I'm doing this pretty good. And uh, people are always asking me, when will I, you know, they, they tell me that they miss me on stage and playing music for them. So I really hope that this will come to an end uh, as, as soon as possible. And then if we have to start everything from the scratch, well, that's something I already done several times in life. And that's something that most of the politicians, they will never understand. Because if once one event would make them be paid 200 euros less, they would make a scandal out of it. And man, hey, for one year, I'm not, a, you know, I cannot earn, and I'm still, I'm alive, and I'm, you know. And well, yeah. Kind of, uh, yeah, because I'm learned, and I learn how to deal with periods when there is no work and no money entering. Yeah, that's what I what I thought for myself in the beginning when it, when it all started, and as you said earlier, you know, here we all thought also, you know, this maybe will be going on for like a couple of months, and then we will go back to what we used to. <clears throat> But when it became apparent that this is not the case, I just said, like, you know, there's like, if I think back to, of, to my life, 
in the past, there have been worse situations. Well, in 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 human history, it's enough to 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 just imagine for the generation of my grandparents who lived through first world war and second world war. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a bit different situation. Then I have to sit at home and look at the screens, <laughs> all the screens that I have in, in my machines. You know, yeah. But the thing that was not happening back then is all these predator uh, behavior coming from the filthy rich ones, you know, who want to apparently, they, they, they dream of having it all, you know, this plan being theirs and our lives in their hands. So that didn't exist as clear as it does today. Because, you know, I remember just like mid-April while we were still tripping from our living rooms and looking at the sky, like, you know, there's no planes up there. And then suddenly there, there was these lines of white points flying in the sky and you know i remember people like from like what the heck is this oh this oh it's a, a company called skylink what what skylink what what whose company what what in the middle of of lockdown oh no it's uh, satellites for you know 5g oh good well uh, and who who's the owner who's the owner what skylink who's the owner whose companies oh oh it's elon musk okay so then you know so we're <laughs> locked down And we are not able to go out and not even think about it. But there are those who can do whatever they want during this time. And of course, this guy is like the, the richest uh, person on earth since one month. He went in front of the Jeff Bezos and stuff. I mean, I'm sorry even to, to, to speak about these guys because they are so unimportant for me. But I'm not a stupid guy who doesn't see all these things. And this is like, you know, okay, so there is... Uh, There are guys who are stronger than the, the countries and richer than the countries. And that's actually the, the, the biggest problem that defines nowadays uh, planet is that you have few guys who have so much money that they can sue countries who don't want to do the things that they would like them to do. And then we are at the end of the list. Then we have the lying politicians who actually depend on these guys And then they lie to us that, you know, they, they take care of everything, that they are the deciders. No, you're not. You know, Emmanuel Macron is as small as any other politician compared to these guys. But he's a big liar because then he tells us the lies because he works for them. I mean, I'm, I, don't, I don't have to be very clever to see these things as clear as I do. So, yeah. But you see, all this thing really definitely goes into people even listening to me that go like, oh, we are going to die. This is horrible world we're living in. No, but it is a, is a moment where you better understand what's going on in order to know who you want to turn to and who you, where you want to uh, stream your own energy and your own creativity and who shall pay for our existence Because I'm not modest about importance of art in the human world. I mean, it is super important. And I know it because I, I've been on the side of somebody who was receiving art and still am. And it changed my life and opened up my mind and saved my life for so, so many times in this small existence of mine. As Ramboy Amadou says, in my long and poor career. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on the other hand, I've seen, you know, I've seen people around me ha having the same phenomena of uh, 
being different people after one concert of music or after one exposition of paintings and yeah. completely changes their way of seeing the world and always for better. So I'm not going to pretend that this is not, uh, uh, as they call it now, only the first necessities will be open. Fuck you. Who the fuck you think you are to tell me what the first necessities are and what first necessities are not. And of course, for most of the people, art is dealt as like not first necessity. How wrong they are, the future will tell. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. For me, they're so, very wrong. Yeah, definitely. Therefore, there is a, like a more suicides last month in Japan than uh, that of covid Yeah, just, I mean, one just needs to imagine how it would be when, when like, every musician and artist would just say, okay, from now on, we are not doing anything. Yeah, we are I, not, I, I, you know. I, I can go into, you know, pick the grapes and do the wine job, uh, yeah. help, help the, the wineries because this is one of my passions. I can, you know, work in some kitchen as a assistant to a chef because I like cooking as well. So, yeah, whatever. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll find some means of... Uh, of uh, survival but i think i mean the thing i still do the best is uh, play music on stage you know so it would be a, a bit silly that because of the bad decisions made by idiots that we all have to stop doing it you know we have to open up our mouths much more than we have been doing until now because this is simply not possible that the idiots total fucking idiots who work, who, who don't have, you know, they, they just want to protect themselves in front of the insurances. That's why we don't, as people, we don't understand their measures at all because there's no logic in continuing keeping the restaurant bars and concert halls closed if it's continuing. If pandemic is continuing because of things that were open and it means public transport uh, uh, offices and, uh, and schools. Fuck off and then they continue co keeping us closed and this open as the co uh, conclusion like this is really like uh, you know it's, uh, uh, treating us as, as an idiot which I'm sorry I cannot uh, recognize myself so yeah but then again you see it's all going in some kind of a yeah I'm pretty much frustrated by the, the, the position that we are in, in now uh, just because I have to uh Uh, let these idiots do what they're doing to us. That 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 makes frustrations, yes, and obvious ones. But at the back of this, I'm still a very positive, creat <laughs> creative, and <laughs> you see what I mean. I love doing yeah. this uh, as much as I did like doing it before. But uh, uh, we need to liberate our energies now. One one domain you are also very much involved in is music education. And of course, this could be a topic for a whole episode as well. You know, we could talk about it in, in a long time. Yeah, of course. For a long time. <clears throat> But maybe just like to to go to it a little bit. When you teach, which you li like to do, as I yeah. know. Um, I, I did it yesterday for four hours, so it's pretty fresh in my mind. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but what... what Like in a general sense, you know, what, what are you trying to transcend to your students? And if you would be asked to give an advice to young and aspiring musicians, what would it be? 
Well, first, the reason why I like doing it because it's uh, it's the logical uh, uh, consequence of receiving. I received advices. I received uh, uh, from every concert that I was witnessing. I there was always this pedagogical uh, dimension to it as well. In every encounter I did with musicians, active musicians since I was a kid, and any kind of not just jazz, but in jazz there there is definitely this pedagogy thing uh, much more than just you know lighting up the thing and singing the songs as you do in the rock concerts. Uh, and I passed from the guy who was amazed by this music to a guy that was on stage and I recognized the same looks that I had when I looked at the great guys and I recognized some looks that people were looking at me like this. You know, like, because the thing that comes with this recognition is a kind of a responsibility that you do have as an artist. So uh, basically... I liked this thing, I think I already mentioned this to you, but I like this idea, which for me is the heritage from Africa that you find in jazz education, that you observe, just observing the master and you being clearly positioned as a young, as a pupil that wants to learn something. I mean, I'm still positioned like this when I work with uh, Michel Portal, all these, uh, you know, I worked with uh, Texier, Henry Texier, Jack DeJohnette, you know, Scott. I mean, all these guys who were there like years and years before me doing this thing. I have, I, I'll have until the end of their lives, in my life, I'll have things to learn. So I'm still more than lucid, you know, and, and I know that I can still learn so much from them. And I'm aware of the fact that I already have an experience where I can teach somebody else and I'm very relaxed in this position. I have nothing to prove to somebody. So it's not about me when I teach somebody. It is about knowing where this student or young man, woman is standing so that I can give them from that point of view something on a good level, which is just above their, their actual level. So that's that's you know it's it's a big pleasure for me when I manage to to match to find exactly what to tell them on the level that is right above their expect their expectancy and their actual level, and that's uh, you know something that, that that is linked to experience and intelligence, not to be modest. And these are two qualities that, uh, as an educator, you need to have. And of course, wish to share, and this is yeah. intact. This is very the, crucial. Uh, I, I yeah. mean, of course, and the the trust that these young people will become the messengers of uh, arts in the future. So you better tell them the real deal and the real things, which is. Help yourself knowing what happened before you as much as you can because it will give you the closer to the source you are in music or any other art. Bigger will be your energy and longer it will keep you in your own creative lifespan. So know everything about, if it's about jazz, well, know everything that happened before 
I know it's a big body of knowledge to know, to, to discover, but yeah, you have a lifetime to do it. But be methodic in, in it because it will all help you just last longer. And don't think that it all starts and ends with yourself while still keeping a lot of self-confidence, which is definitely very important in the fact that you are supposed to create, be a, a, a creator yourself. It's a, it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a complex, complex way of uh, exi- complex existence, especially nowadays where distracting uh, matters are all over us. You know, one of them being just simply this. You know, this this thing is like you know, you know, it's uh, instant gratitude, instant. You know, you just open and you press. Oh, it's interesting. I'll check what the others are doing, or playing a video game and everything. I mean, like for the kids, it's it's so much easier to to feel some some gratitude or something is happening by taking a phone than studying an instrument. You know, like I have experienced, like because. Sometimes when I travel to gigs on on my own, I, I take the train when it's inside Germany, <clears throat> and so I've I've experienced things, you know, like I think with little kids, with really little kids, the 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 aspect of addiction towards it is much much higher and much more yeah. intense it's, than with us. And with us, like, it's already fucked up. Yeah, with us too. If you don't, you know, I have to 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 make the the moments where I go out for a walk. And not to take my phone, and I feel bad. Like uh, uh, I, uh, uh. I will miss out on something. No, you, yeah. will, you, you will enjoy your walk ten times more instead of yeah, because you will really time. notice what's around. So yeah, you. with the kids, it's like cocaine. It's really like like being a dope. Yeah. that's what uh, I mean. Dependent. I've noticed. I I remember one situation on a train where, you know, there was a little kid, maybe like three, and and the parents were trying to take it away from him. You know. The, the phone but it was i i was really i mean that, that was something which made an impression which lasted for a very long time i know man. i know i i, I had experience, similar experiences on a lower level than this but you know still there uh, with my own kids it's like you know wow the moment we introduced finally introduced the the screens and the uh, personal uh, gadgets with screen and uh, means of going and communicate with the world wide web it was a beginning of problems and fights or were you know, trying to tell them that this should be used a certain amount of time not all the time but yeah then you say we can observe ourselves being hooked to it and everything. so yeah that's well, at least something I try to, to turn out when I'm uh, working music you know because you need concentration to yeah you need to be in there yeah <laughs> yeah but uh, as like as we are i would say approaching the end of our beautiful conversation today of course you know the guest shall have the final word if you like final thing uh, if uh, is definitely like i said we should not think that we are You know, we as an artists uh, in our existence and importance in the society is much bigger than the actual times are trying to show us. Um, there is a lot of work if you really want to be somebody who's aware of what happened before in order to be uh, uh, inspired and fit enough not to recreate something that was already done, but go further with the creation. Uh 
but it's the best thing you can offer to yourself. And I'll eventually end up by, you know, each one of us, we are different. And our quest and our sense of aesthetics and uh, our taste for what is uh, a good balance of elements in uh, 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 artistic statement is different. And that's exactly what this life needs. It needs more and more of people who are original, who go for the way they are, and they try to affirm and confirm their own visions as something that is valuable in a human society. So that's my biggest message is like, people do give you the means of advancing as an artist and uh, gratify uh, the, the human beings uh, by your own vision of what is beautiful and uh, aesthetics because that's the soul food for all of us. You have been listening to Talking Spirits podcast episode number 16 with Boyan Zulfikar Pasic and Armin Alic. Next week's episode will be one in German language once again. And my guest is one of my absolute bass heroes, German first call bassist Klaus Fischer. It looks like we have finally made it through winter time, so things will get better and easier for the months to come. Stay healthy and safe and see you again next week. <laughs>